0: We've been uh, reflecting the last uh, few days on the meaning of silence. And we began with the word "temeon" in Greek, which we can translate as the inner room. Just remember that uh, teaching with which we began the retreat. When you pray, go into your inner room Close the door and pray to your Father who is in that secret place. And your Father, who knows and sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So, a room is a a space that is bounded by walls and a ceiling and floor, as here. But it is essentially about space. And this space, for me, has always been a very powerful space of energy and of peace. And of meaning. I think these paintings of uh, Rothko are like icons. You don't pray to an icon, you pray with an icon. And you don't just look at an icon, you see through it. Of course, that requires attention, it requires time, and we have a good amount of time today to be able to see and to pay attention to these very powerful and meaningful expressions of the human spirit. Prayer has been called the art of arts. Meditation is not a science or a technique. It's an art. And the human being is essentially an artist. We co-create. We ourselves are part of creation but we are conscious, we are responsive, and we see beauty. We may hopefully even see our own beauty, and so we co-create. Every work of art has a personality, an individual behind it. Each of us, when we come meditation, brings our immediate history, the mood we we are in, the kind of day we've had or had, and we have our own personality. And this is true of these great works, Rothko, and it's helpful and rather poignant to learn about how he painted these and how they represent the the final sort of uh, evolution of his life and work as an artist. But I think the most important thing, as any artist would want and as any meditator would understand, is not to think about the history or the personality, but to be present. When Rothko began his painting career, he was very uh, concerned with the loss of the mythical sense in our civilization. We spoke about that yesterday. The loss of a narrative, the loss of the great symbols by which a civilization maintains its values and expresses its sense of meaning. And interestingly, he said he was not an abstract painter. So these are mythical. They're not figurative, we don't see uh, representations of mythical scenes, of course, but I think they speak to us from the crisis that he felt deep in his soul personally, the crisis of the spiritual crisis of our time. He had, of course, gone through the Second World War, and as a Jew, he had seen and felt the total loss of values and meaning in what was once a great civilization. So I think in these paintings, we see something revealed, Something, and it's good to see Something secret revealed, but it's not only revealed. I think it is also something that relieves us. It relieves us of the of the weight of that crisis and of the fear that that crisis awakens in so many people and institutions today, the feeling of being lost. Now, it's rather challenging, I suppose, to to say that these paintings, with their massive darkness and simplicity, can relieve that human pain and doubt, but in the same way that meditation does, or that the words of Scripture do. If we truly listen, if we are truly present, we experience not only a revelation, but a relieving of that pain. When Roscoe found his unique and particular style and form, it was with beautiful, bright colors, orange and red and green. And I don't think this evolution of his style and form that he, when he had found himself, as we all must do. John Mayne said we have to find the work we have to do in our life. I don't think that this evolution is depressing. He says, I think, somewhere that uh, every work of art Should have certain um, elements or certain uh, aspects, and that every work of art should have at least 10% of hope. But that 10% of hope is enough. I think we should uh, take a little time both to look and to feel the the gift of these sacred images, and take a time to look around. He did say, I th- think, somewhere that uh, these paintings are best looked at from 18 inches away. I'm not sure how realistic that is. But uh, I think we have to, uh, we have to allow them to reveal themselves to us through our attention, the gift of attention we give to them and that is how all work, works of art and how the art of prayer actually works. That we become co-creationist with the artist and with the spirit in our hearts in prayer. He said also that they needed to be as big as this. When you go into a national gallery somewhere, and you see these huge monumental paintings of battle scenes or classical mythology uh, the 18th or 19th century, you feel a bit overwhelmed by them. His idea was that these were so big so that they would give us a sense of intimacy, of closeness. And I think that's what I always feel uh, when I come here, that something very intimate in myself is touched by them. Now, I think we have to not work up this too much so that we feel we're not getting the experience we ought to get. Uh, But I think we can take a little time now to look and to see and to allow the tremendous uh, silence of these cries of the human spirit They are compassionate cries. He was deeply concerned about the world, not just about self-expression. These are signs of compassion, signs of empathy, signs of a human soul resonating with the experience of the human family, as in every great work of art and, indeed, as in the work of prayer as well. He said, the people who weep before my pictures are having the same religious experience that I had when I painted them. And that always reminded me of the gift of tears in the desert tradition the monks would pray for the gift of tears, this pentos, this, in a way, painful, but at the same time, delightful and liberating experience of the heart being opened, compunction, something deep within ourselves opening up Beyond our own personal grief or sadness or worry, opening up beyond that individual perspective on reality into a reality of the universal. So let's just take a few moments to look around. I think we have to do it from from seating, from a seated position, but let's take a few moments of silence uh, to look, to feel, to be present. It's wonderful the way the light uh, changes. And how the canvases seemed to shimmer, with great movement. I was once in Australia during a plane strike, and the only way I could get across the continent was by train, several days. And I tried everything I could to avoid it. As it would take me across what's called the Nullabar Desert, the desert with no trees. But eventually I had to give way and take this train and it was the most wonderful gift <laughs> and it was a desert but as I looked out of the window for two or three days, uh, the desert was always changing. It was so alive and the light was so miraculous. I think we have to li- to look or to see these. Uh, paintings as we listen to music. Of course, there are different kinds of music. Music I'm always reminded of in this room are, are the Bach cello uh, sonatas. Did you ever have a performance of that, of those in here? That would be wonderful. And A musician friend of mine once, we were listening to Bach cello sonatas together and he said, isn't it amazing to think that Bach could sit down, or any human being could sit down and write that stuff. <laughs> and because the human is so important in art as in prayer. It doesn't hurt us to remember the pain and the suffering that Rothko went through personally. Not enough to make him an artist, but, but that this gift could come out of that pain is wonderful. We spoke about going in deeper and deeper into the timaeon, into the inner room. There are infinite levels of silence. It's not silence, it's not something we grasp or we arrive at or achieve. It's a journey, an infinite progression. And the sign that we are beginning that journey is, I think, represented by these uh, images or spaces. The first stage is always that we have to let go of familiar things, images, thoughts, even belief systems, we have to trust the darkness of faith. And the early teachers of prayer spoke about the radiant darkness or the luminous darkness Many people today have long-distance relationships. They keep those relationships nourished by Skype calls or WhatsApp, but there is no substitute for the physical presence of the friend or the person you love. You could look at photos of these these paintings and get something out of it, write an essay about it, but to be with the original work is something unique and irreplaceable. What is that? original work, the presence, something alive in that inner room, your father who is in that secret place, and the very shape of these paintings is intimate. Just as the body of a friend is intimate, unique, incarnate as we are to ourselves as well. Meditation, and the work of silence, and entering into that inner room, takes us beyond abstraction, or generalities, into something uniquely personal. That's why, perhaps, Rothko so these, he was not an abstract painter Meditation is not an abstract experience In many parts of uh, Europe and part of Ireland that I know best, there are stone circles, some of them more or less complete. And they, are, they have, for me, this uh, sense of energy and presence and meaning that I find with with these canvases surrounding us here, rather like being in that stone circle. The inner room is a place of nourishment, security, hope and renewal. But you have to sit there, you have to be there, close the door, and pray, be in prayer there. And in those stone circles, we we don't know what the people who built them believed. They didn't leave any record of their beliefs, or their rituals, or their liturgies. We only have very few shreds of historical evidence. But clearly, (laughs) it was meaningful for them. And clearly, you can feel that. And it changes you to feel it. I always feel with these paintings in particular, you can't interpret them. You can't say, this is what they mean. This is why he painted it. That remains at quite a superficial level. Nevertheless, I think one can feel the presence that they convey or that they are. And that's real, a real presence. What makes presence real in any relationship? Is reciprocity. Nothing worse than being present to someone who you see is actually longing to check their messages on their phone, or is looking out of the window. So for presence to become real, And that takes us beyond the walls, and the ceiling, and the floor of the inner room. To be truly present to each other is the great human revelation. (coughs) And that's what the artist or the meditator And in meditation, we are all artists. That's what the artist or the meditator works at. So let's take a time for meditation now. amazing how they change, isn't it? They say people sometimes come in here for the first time and they look around and they say, yeah, but where are the paintings? <laughs> And it's a good question, actually. So we could end with uh, a comment of uh, Rothko's, who I think we could say was a deeply religious person. He said, I insist upon the equal existence of the world engendered in the mind and the world engendered by God outside it. I insist upon the equal existence of the world engendered by the mind and the world engendered by God outside it. So where are the paintings? This is the great gift of the inner room, the great gift of meditation to us and to the world. is that it teaches us through experience, which is the only way to learn anything, that the inner and the outer have an equal existence. Whereas it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, when all is said and done, God is all there is. Good. Well, thank you again for your welcome and making it possible for us to come here a little earlier in the day than usual. It's been a great uh, gift to us. And thank you for making this space such a, a living and welcome space.